You've got questions. We've got all the answers when it comes to sex and more. This is the A to Z of sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Every week, we pick a series of topics that you've been wanting to know about. It's an encyclopedia of sex, intimacy, relationships, and so much more than that. Let's get things started. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex and intimacy coach and a psychologist, and I've spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create hot and healthy sexual and intimate relationships. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. So today the letter is F, and F is for fetish. Now, when we talk about fetish, we are not talking about when somebody says they have a handbag fetish because they like to collect handbags. We're talking sexual fetishes here. And joining me today to cover this topic is DK Green. DK is a psychotherapist in private practice specializing and working within the gender, sex, and relationships diversity community, queer and intersectional communities. In terms of identity, he is a 50-something parent, grandparent, and animal lover, as well as a leather, dominant, poly, trans, shamanic, biker, and horse rider. He's also a big old softie who prioritizes family, both chosen, queer, and created kids and grandkids above all things. Thanks for joining me, DK. That's a great bio. Thank you. <laughs> I love that bio. Okay, so um, I've done an episodes on fetish before, but I always think it's a useful one to do because I get lots of questions about whether or not such and such is a fetish, whether or not it's okay, mm-hmm. we need to worry about. So, so what's your definition of fetish? Okay, um, so my definition of fetish is probably broader than most because I've I've met a lot of people and I've had a lot of clients who've had some really unusual things that they would class as a fetish. Um, I think some people have a, a, a mental attitude around uh, fetishism, which is that it's bad or wrong, um, a bit like... Um, you know, I, if I need this thing or if I, it's, it's a little bit equated to addiction, people term it mm-hmm. like that. So if it's causing me harm or making trouble in my life or I can't actually have sex without it, then it's a problem. But actually, I know a lot of people with really harmless fetishes and some of those can be really bizarre. So you've raised one of the issues that I want to raise. So the actual definition of fetish, when you look in something like the DSM, which yeah. for those of you who don't know is the diagnostical Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. We're in version five. Um, It's put out by the American Psychiatric Association. And just so you know how long I've been at this, when I started learning, we were in version two, and they don't (laughs) revise them every year. Um, So when you look at that, it is classed as something that a person requires. And I'm I'm not giving you the wordy definition. I'm giving you English. Something a person requires in order to experience ongoing sexual arousal and orgasm, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's a, the difference between a preference and a fetish, according to that, is that I might prefer to have sex. Um, I might prefer to have sex that involves some pain as a masochist, mm-hmm. right? That might be my preference, but I might not need that in order to reach an orgasm. Mm-hmm. Whereas there might be something I need. Um, leather, mm-hmm. it might, or scent, or shoes is the most common. Shoes, feet mm-hmm. is really common. Yeah. Um, Cross dressers also very common. Absolutely. There might be something that might be something I need in order to reach orgasm. Mm-hmm. And so, what that means for the person with a fetish is that if they can't get it physically, they're having it here. Mm-hmm. And the only problem with that is if you're not talking about it with your partner, then you are here and you're not 100% with them. Yeah. Yeah. To qualify here, um, Laurie is pointing at her head. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm pointing yeah, at yeah. my head and forgetting that I am on an audio. Um, yeah. So I'm pointing at my head. So that, that yeah, you know, so if you fantasizing, you fantasize about it. fantasize during sex just for the moment of orgasm sometimes. Mm-hmm. Now, why people get so upset about this really is the idea that they they feel often not not only other people class it like as though it's addictive which it of uh, course isn't but they feel like it is because they don't like being dependent on one thing mm-hmm. or one idea in order to reach orgasm so people 
come to therapists with this not not infrequently because they're worried about themselves because what, I think a lot of that is wrapped up around guilt and shame and that's often given to them by partners so the the problem for me that i've come across many times is that a partner will feel somehow that they are deficient or not enough if the fetish isn't included like it's somehow a reflection their partner's fetish is a reflection on their lack um so that that comes up quite a bit yeah absolutely and it and it's really problematic when that happens um, absolutely it it it's it, it, i'll tell you which one that i see that most often with cross dressing Mm, yeah. I've had more cross partners of cross dressers come mm-hmm. because they're completely freaked out by the fact that their partner is cross dressing. Mm-hmm. They found out that their partner is cross dressing. The, the most common worry is that their partner is gay mm-hmm. if they're male. I mean, that is the most common worry. This must mean my partner's gay and isn't attracted to me. Um, but or nowadays, are they trans? Are they trans? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that'll get asked a lot. And it's like, no, cross dressing doesn't equal. It's very similar to the porn thing. You know, a lot of people really get off on porn and really enjoy that, almost to the point of being a fetish. Um, and the partner's automatic assumption is, again, there's something lacking in me. There's something I'm not giving you. You shouldn't need that. I should be enough. Yeah, and the same thing, well, for that matter, you hear that with consensual non-monogamy as well. Yeah, I see yeah. a lot of polyamorous monogamous yeah. couples, the mixes, and the monogamous partner is always saying, well, why you shouldn't need another person. Yeah. You know, why am I not enough? Why yeah. am I not enough? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not about. So a lot of it is done in a guilt and shame frame. You know, a lot of fetishism in the same way is, is felt under the umbrella of that guilt and shame, which is caused by others really. Yeah. And, you it, know, and it's caused by society and then by partners. Absolutely. So we are actually probably just about our first break. We'll okay. be back in a couple of minutes after some words from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to live to 100? Join Dr. Joe Casciani and his program that shows us that age is just a number. You can age with fresh and inspiring perspectives, whether it's staying physically fit or keeping mentally fit. With great stories, plenty of advice about successful aging, and brighter outlooks, you just might join those who are living to 100. The Living to 100 Club is broadcast live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel we're with you wherever alexa and google are at home in the car on your smart tv and your connected devices hey alexa hey google play my favorite voice america podcast on TuneIn. it's just that easy but make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex. Today, it's F is for fetish, and we are on part two, and I'm with the amazing DK Green. So we were talking before the break about the fact that often people are coming into us because they've experienced a lot of guilt and shame around their fetishes, and a lot of this comes from society and from partners. Yes, absolutely. So I get asked a lot, what is the weirdest... Mm-hmm. I always love that, right? What's the weirdest <laughs> fetish you've heard of? Well, like, you I know, get that a lot. Yeah. It's so personal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? What I consider weird is probably not going to be what you consider weird or what somebody down the street considers Absolutely. weird. Absolutely. But I think I get asked that question. I get asked that question in podcasts a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get asked that question um, by clients because they're worried whether I'm going to be able to hear what they have to say. Yes, absolutely, because they're so hiding in their guilt and shame that they want to hear that you have enough experience and knowledge of fetishism to be able to understand where they're coming from or at least grasp it. And I'm always loath to answer the question because 
I try and pick something that is very rare so that somebody will, will, will fit in, right? So they mm-hmm. can go, oh, well, that's odd, and I'm not nearly as odd, right? Yes. But the problem is, is that you, you could inadvertently land on their fetish, and you don't want mm-hmm. them to know that, to think that you can't hear it. I mean, I can quite clearly say, and I'm happy to put my hand up on this show, that after 32 years of listening to people, mm-hmm. um, actually, we're going on 33 now, mm-hmm. um, I think there isn't anything I haven't heard at least once. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised. People fetishize all sorts of, yeah, weird and wonderful things. And it doesn't really matter. A lot of people want to work out why. They want to do the work with us to figure out why this thing is a fetish, why they love feet so much, why belt buckles do it for them. You know, there's always something that that they want to trace it back to. But I often find that even if we go through that work, and we do that work because that's what they want to do, um, in the end it boils down to, is it harming you? Are you enjoying it? Does it get you off? And then, so where is the harm? Is the guilt and shame the thing that needs to go rather than the fetish? Absolutely. And you know what I find so funny about that? You said you do the work because that's what they want to do. I actually try and dissuade them from the work. Yeah, yeah. I will do it with them if they absolutely insist. Exactly. But I I start with saying, do you really want to waste that much money? Yeah. (laughs) Because it will take us a long time to do this and... We've got about a 50% chance of finding out where this came from, which is, mm-hmm. in my experience, about what it is. Yeah. And even if we do find out where this came from, it may make no difference mm-hmm. in terms of the desire. Mm-hmm. It may not yeah. change the desire at all. Because mm-hmm. usually the only things that, that go away as a result of that sort of thing are things that don't provide pleasure. Yeah. Right? So if you're looking to get rid of, if you had a great, horrible trauma. hmm then when you work through that horrible trauma, what goes away are the negatives. Yeah. The symptoms go away. Mm-hmm. If you got, if there's any positive reinforcement anywhere, that doesn't go away because humans are animals. We're smart. Mm-hmm. We seek reinforcement. So we don't let go of that so easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to um, change someone's sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. It's a worthless endeavor. So we tend to work. I can give you a a good um, example of this in that um, there was a person uh, uh, assigned female at birth who uh, developed a fetish from childhood masturbation on the corner of a dresser. So, you know, a cupboard, basically a dresser corner. And that had become a requirement for orgasm. And it was affecting them in their adult sexual life that they, you know, they were ashamed and embarrassed and guilty about having this thing that they actually wanted the, you know, the corner of a cupboard to to finish the job. Um, And there's all sorts of ways that you can deal with this. And in the end, the couple had a wonderful time playing with a wooden block. You know, like from the, the kids' toys, the little yeah. wooden blocks that you stack. Because it, it has a corner. Absolutely. Like and they would just introduce that for a bit of fun. And it was great. That's a wonderful solution. <laughs> I love that solution. And I, I like that that really highlights the fact that you need to be creative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you work on getting rid of the guilt and shame. And then if the person has a very defined fetish in the clinical sense, which means they absolutely need this yeah, rather yeah, than really. it's a preference, then you work on finding ways to make that part of mm. the sex. It I, became part of the beautiful connection they had. That's right. I mean, I, I, work with, I do work with people sometimes on um, changing your masturbation patterns. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, it's a good thing to work on with people early on for no other reason that you can find yourself physically changing over time or with illness or injury where you can't do the way you did before. And if that's the only way you know how to come, it's going to be hard. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, the couple did develop into um, lots of other exciting sexual play, but that, that became a special thing, an occasional thing that, that really, you know, the guy felt like he was finally a part of this fetish and fantasy and not somehow lacking or deficient, you know, because he was part of it. Well, and what's wonderful about that is that because they introduced it, they were able to branch out. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And if you don't, if you're not thinking in terms of how if you're not allowing yourself the fetish, mm-hmm. you can't branch out because you're still stuck in the shame, which mm-hmm. keeps you focused 
and mm. sometimes in quite an obsessional way. Boxed in, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it can be really difficult to break out of. Mm. Um, common fetishes. So we've already said um, cross dressing is one that's really common. Feet, feet, and oh, shoes. By the feet and shoes, but that's not solely the province of men. No, that's right. Yeah, you know, worth, worth think, pointing that out. Yeah, yeah, because the image that comes to mind for most people is mm. a guy, yeah, who's obsessing over a woman's feet. Yeah, it's usually about power play. Shoes, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's usually well, and it's usually about power play. But actually, there is a I mean, worship foot fetish. Period. It's separate. Mm. Can be separate from worship, and that has no gender. Yeah, absolutely. I know um, a manicurist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she has a foot fetish. Fantastic. And she gives the best pedicures on the planet. <laughs> that's fantastic. Now that's how to work with your fetish. Absolutely. Yep. And the only reason that I know that is because, because of what I do, she was willing to confide in me. And she's not inappropriate. I need to be really clear about this, right? There's nothing about the way that she touches me, there's nothing sexual about the way that she touches yeah. me. She just gets off on it. Mm. And now that I know, of course, I know the signs, but yeah. I would never have known. Yeah. And, you know, she's sitting next to another girl who doesn't have a foot fetish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You would never have known. But the difference is she gives the best pedicure on the planet. Her foot massage is to die for. She's always meticulous about the way your nails look. And with COVID, I haven't been able to see her in a while, which is quite oh. sad. But... Yeah, so it, it doesn't have to be a male. That's right. Other ones that really provoke shame. I think just the fact that you recognize and acknowledge that you have something so-called different from the norm, so-called non-normative, that erotic, you eroticize, that actually turns you on and gets you off. I think all fetishes come under that category. You know? Absolutely. Because at some point, somebody's going to feel embarrassed about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to try and pick on ones that specifically, I guess the ones around gender, like cross-dressing, are probably the most um, yeah. guilt and shame inducing. Um, I, I think you can have a fetish not just for inanimate objects, but certain kinds of play, for example, in BDSM. So some people might have a real fetish for um, scat or humiliation or, and even, you know, you can even be humiliated about the fact you've got a humiliation fetish, you know. <laughs> I love that. That's a, that's a complex one. Yeah, 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 yeah. What I think is interesting about some of those is that there are lots of things, you know, on lists. I always love these lists. Limit lists, right? Uh, no X, Y, Z, and W. Mm-hmm. That everybody says, and I'm always interested in how those limits get pushed. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times people say that automatically, not because they are... Um, they would never want to try. It never comes into their life. Scat's a good one to use as an example. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for those of you who don't know what scat is, it's to do with feces, play to do mm-hmm. with feces, right? Mm-hmm. So scat's a good example because that's one that's on every list and everybody says no, 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 mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. Because the, their assumption is any partner would not want to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's therefore right. it's on a list. And even if it's something that isn't a fetish as in, a confirmed necessary, but something yeah. that someone might want to try, it's on the list first, and then then all the limits get moved later when you mm-hmm. trust the person that you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, rimming is a thing. Yeah, well, rimming, <laughs> well, rimming is, but rimming is often separated from scat. Yeah, I know, bizarrely. Which is, which is fascinating to me, um, but one's about toilet and one's about sex, but it's the same hole and the same poop. <laughs> yes, indeed. Absolutely. And so you get all sorts of like discomfort around this Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to nowadays spanking. Most people aren't having discomfort around because there's so much, it's been so, so much made available through literature, through media. Yeah. It's been made a a bit of kinky fun. So it's acceptable. Right. So that used to be something that really made people embarrassed. And now people Mm -hmm. aren't embarrassed about it, which illustrates how much culture has an impact. Uh, massive massive absolutely other ones i think of that people don't often think about or talk about um food Mm, yes yes that's a big one yeah yeah 
There are all sorts of ways that people can incorporate food into sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes people want to be covered in food. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people are objectified. Mm-hmm. So they become a table and yeah. people eat off of them. And sometimes it's about the insertion. And sometimes it's the insertion of food. Okay, when we come back in a couple of minutes after this break, I've got an amusing story about that. Okay. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. This is the A to Z of sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails, too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And this week, it is F is for fetish, and I have the amazing DK Green with me. And before the break, we were talking about food and fetish, and both of us have a story about that. Um, So for me, my biggest memory around food has to do with growing up in the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. When um, female sex toys and vibrators were these very, people have heard me talk about this before, they basically were this sickly pale white mm-hmm. cylindrical, not even penis shaped object mm-hmm. that was hard. Like plastic. a torpedo. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and if you, if you never tried this or you're too young to know, you know, you get sex toys are beautiful now. They're made of all sorts of lovely materials. These were the most uncomfortable objects on the planet. And I could never figure out why anybody would ever want a sex toy on that basis. Uh Um, And in fact, I went off sex toys until the 90s as a result of that. Mm -hmm, It was mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's a vibrator. No. (laughs) Right. However, um, if you didn't like those and you wanted to practice with insertion, carrots and cucumbers and zucchini. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those of you in the UK, zucchini is a courgette. Mm Mm-hmm. And this was the thing. And I remember, because because you do, right, at a certain age, I mean, I was interested anyway, but even my female friends who weren't interested in other girls, at a certain age, you're experimenting, just like the boys at a certain age can end up in circle jerks, mm-hmm. just because the girls experiment too. But that's not talked about very often. And <laughs> I remember a party, a sleepover party, when I was about 11, that had lots of carrots and zucchinis. Now, all of us were virgins, and here we were trying to figure out what insertion might be like. It was hilarious. It was Do we cook these? Remember my friends, they, well, if we cook them, they'll be less, they'll be softer. And I'm like, yeah, they'll disintegrate. <laughs> you won't be able to get it in, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is where the conversation went. So, yes, vegetables. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of the girls in that environment, who shall remain nameless, um, developed a fetish for vegetables. I did not. I just found it uncomfortable and said, <laughs> no, I'm not interested. Thank you very much. I think the cliche in the, the locker rooms um, for the girls, from what I recall, was always bananas. Great <laughs> idea, but it always went to schmush. <laughs> <laughs> But I do have a a food fetish story that I recall. Um, 
and that was involving frozen grapes. So you've got the sensation of the the round, the cylindrical, the sensation of the cold and, and the sort of erotic uh, taboo of, of sticking food inside someone. And the, the cliche or the phrase that came out of this experience has been used and is still used to this day. And it was cannamin count them out because <laughs> you needed to make sure you'd got them all back out again <laughs> i love it <laughs> so yes food is definitely one um although one that i think is is less shaming yes i think it's probably less shaming because most people at some time or other have been alone randy as hell desperate and gone to the fridge or the cupboard <laughs> to find yeah. something well, and then practicing on bananas, I should be wearing my banana necklace now. I have a big <laughs> banana necklace. Fantastic. I wear for talks sometimes. But they're no good unless frozen. They go to smush. <laughs> yeah, they, they go to smush. Um, but that was one. That was definitely one for practicing, practicing oral sex. If you want to uh -huh. practice blowjobs, bananas were good for practicing blowjobs, but only a couple of tries because they go to smush. Mm -hmm. So you've heard my... Um, uh, most what is the phrase you use your clients ask you what's your most weird and wonderful fetish so the one that i'd heard of was the the corner of the dresser which right. got incorporated so can you give us one or two of yours um okay i think one of them <laughs> one of them had to do with tree bark okay cool. so we're with wood again and um and this was a young man mm -hmm. who clothed had apparently i should back it when he was a kid, he used to climb trees a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, those of you who are around, um, people who have been born with penises know that when they hit puberty, erections become an unpredictable thing and mm -hmm. don't necessarily have to do with arousal. And I should say that that can help a fetish develop. Mm, yeah. Because there's an erection <clears throat> and the connection can be made, well, maybe this is what's turning me on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and then if you seek out the activity again because it felt good, mm -hmm. that's how you You've got can. the association in place. That's yeah. right. You put the association in place. But this young man hit puberty and um, was continuing to climb trees and had been wearing rather thin trouser uh, mm -hmm. shorts actually, and had rubbed against this tree and got an erection, mm -hmm. and had rubbed against the tree again and thought, hmm. And again, and then eventually experienced an orgasm relatively young. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this became absolutely the thing that turned him on the most was rubbing mm -hmm. against the tree bark, which of course caused some problems because it, to him, it meant he needed to be outside around trees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that was problematic. And, um, and he was terribly embarrassed about it. Right. Um, and part of what he was embarrassed about was the fact that there was some pain involved. Yeah. Okay. And the idea of being a masochist wasn't okay. All right. So we worked on that for a while and we worked on the fact that there are various levels of masochist. And if you don't want the label, you don't have to have the label. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Just like if you have sex with somebody of the same gender as you, that doesn't necessarily make you gay. Gay is an identity, right? So you don't have to take a label just because of one thing that happens. You yeah, yeah. work with it. So um, in the end, we made a texture board for him to experiment with. Mm -hmm. And he brought that to his partner. So he had this bag of stuff that he would bring with mm -hmm. textures. And one of the textures he had was tree bark, but he okay. also had a fondness for sandpaper. <laughs> um, and so he did things in a way that he wasn't going to injure himself all the time. So or get caught in public. Yeah. Or get caught in public. <laughs> that was a big one. Yeah. A good example of that would be, <clears throat> so I'm uh, in my private life and my sex life, I'm a dominant sadist. Um, but I recall very clearly as a child climbing up this ridiculously tall tree in a woodyard of all places. And at the very top were three really thin, was a fork of three really thin branches. And I got to the point where I could stand. I'm, I'm like five or six at this age. I'm, I'm very adventurous. And I could stand holding onto these really thin sticks, knowing that actually one could snap and I could fall. But actually, I got titillated by the fear. I got that same sort of gurgly stomach that I would get with, with masturbation to orgasm, which I was also doing very young. And so I became, I, I managed to make that association between fear, that feeling, you know, the inside sort of butterflies, collywobbles, with pleasure, with sexual pleasure, because it gave me a very similar feeling. 
um, you know, that doesn't mean I continued, but it certainly did play a part for a while there. It was like, oh, fear. Oh, I like that. That's fun. Um, now I like making that effect on other people. But <laughs> the point is that connection can be made very easily and very young. So many of those connections can be made very easily and very young. And I think it's a really important point that people understand that a lot of these connections are made, some of them are made pre-verbal. Mm-hmm. Because remember that sexual development starts yeah. in the womb. And um, any of you who have children know that your toddlers will be rubbing themselves or grabbing themselves mm-hmm. because they discover their bodies and they discover these things feel good. They also, you know... Stepping aside from Freud, I mean, there was a reason there was an oral phase and there was a reason there was an anal phase. These are all pleasurable sites. And so people do develop affinities Mm -hmm. and fixations or fetishes around various things, depending on what they experienced growing up and what associations they made. And a lot of our fetishes come from association. Breastfeeding, classic. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and but then people are like, oh, that's, that's a terrible thing. And it's not for that. Well, you know, talk to some women who are willing to talk about the experience of feeding. Yes. You know, here's one where there's a lot of guilt and shame. So much so in a lot of our societies where people can't breastfeed in public because it's sexualized. Yeah, absolutely. But then because we're, you know, there's so much, well, and, and you see this a lot in feminist communities, you know, it should never be sexualized because this is just a natural act. Well, then people who are experiencing breastfeeding mothers who are experiencing mm-hmm. sexual pleasure as a result of the feeding process are being shamed. 100%. Because yes, they are sexualizing 100%. it. Yeah, absolutely. And it becomes much more complex mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a hugely complex issue. So there is yep. there's a whole population and a whole community of people who um, – not only enjoy feeding adults who enjoy mm-hmm. breastfeeding, but women, adult women who enjoy f- breastfeeding. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's not too far removed from the, you know, the don't do it in schools nowadays, but when I was in schools, you got the slipper or the cane or the ruler or whatever else. Those are incredibly fetishistic items and have become sexually eroticized for many, many generations. Oh, and the belt, and, and actually, when I was young, the belt was the big thing. Um, um, and some, for some of my friends who grew up in the South, go and cut a switch off that tree. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's whole communities around these things now. Yeah. So if any of these things are attractive to you, as long as nothing is causing you permanent harm, as long as there's consent with everyone involved, there's no reason to feel guilt or shame around it. Yeah, 100%. And this and is pleasure funny. is okay and pleasure is allowed. And if you think that your pleasure is slightly different to others, that's also allowed. Yep. All you need to do is be able to communicate so you can find the people who share your interests. Yes. Um, it, it's, it's fascinating to me how little people communicate as well. And that's particularly around what really turns them on. Yeah. People talk about the generals. People talk about the, the things they know are completely social accept, socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. I hold my hand up. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've done the same in my lifetime. Anybody who goes and reads my erotic memoir will understand in detail the things I chose not to ever talk about for years mm-hmm. because there was so much guilt and shame yeah. around my own desires, some of that from societal, some of that from traumatic experience, but it just built. And Mm -hmm. so, well, what do you do then? Well, you kind of hope that somebody's going to hit on the right things or you accept Mm -hmm. the secondary things or you fantasize a lot. Yeah. And then you're not present. And and that to me is always really sad when you're not present in your sexual contact with others, you lose out on so many other dimensions. So here's a question for you. Let's imagine a couple, um, gender irrespective, who uh, one, one of them has a secret fetish, something that they only do alone, something that they're fantasizing about in the bedroom with sex with the partner. How would you recommend that they could even begin that conversation? Because I, uh, I know that that can be a really difficult place to be. It's a huge one. Um, and so... Um, We're about to go on a break. So I'm going to answer that when we come back. But it is a huge issue. I can't tell you 
how often <laughs> it is that I oh, actually I have clients asking that. That's one of the biggest questions. That That's why I'm upset. <laughs> yeah, it's a perfect question. Okay, okay, so we'll be back in a couple of minutes after some words from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you or somebody you love is dealing with an addiction to alcohol or drugs, you may be looking for all kinds of answers. Let Recovery Radio with host Zach Crouch be your guide. Zach Crouch will speak with experts and share personal stories of addiction recovery. You'll also learn what's beyond the surface of mental health, root causes of addiction, and more. Most importantly, we'll explore the solutions and treatments to get you back on track. Recovery Radio. New episodes are available every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is the A to Z of sex, featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails, too. Send them to Lori Beth at drloribethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Welcome back to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is part four of F is for Fetish, and I'm with the incredible DK Green, and before the break, he asked the question, if you've got a couple coming in where one of them's been fantasizing about stuff that they're ashamed of, how do you even start that conversation? Um, One of the things that I recommend as a starting place is to use erotica and use um, porn or near porn and start with your partner by either, if, it's, if you like movies, suggesting you watch a movie together and watching your partner's responses because sometimes you can tell by watching their responses that you can start the conversation or by what they say that you can start the conversation without any fear. Yeah. Um, or reading together, reading out loud to a partner is a wonderful thing. So that's one, or just kind of saying, well, I like part, I like this book. Want to see what you think? What's your favorite story? Mm-hmm. And that's a good way of getting these sorts of conversations started with a bit of a lower risk level. Mm-hmm. Um, because what you don't want to do is start the conversation by, by, and sometimes people do this, they blurt it out. This thing is, this is what I really like and I've never told you. Mm-hmm. Because people tend to feel like you've been withholding deliberately when, in fact, it's been shame that's caused the withholding. So if you can get the idea whether your partner might even be interested, Mm -hmm. that's always a place that I would start. And the other thing I do is have people practice having talking about these things. So they talk about it to me until they're comfortable, until they're no longer freaking out. And I invite clients. You know, there are a lot of times I don't make comments. I'm having them talk and I'm not commenting on what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But in this, when I do this, I invite clients to ask me about what they're worried about because otherwise they normally won't say it. Mm-hmm. So I had one client who was saying, I wonder what you think of me now. I wonder if you're disgusted by this. And so I actually answered, right? We set it up that way so she could practice. And I said, I don't think any different of you now. You're a person who enjoys this thing. Mm-hmm. This isn't the first time I've heard this. Yeah. Right? I think that can be on its own revelationary to people. I mean, literally mind-blowing. Yep. That you're not the first. 
You're not nope. the first I've heard. It's okay. You're not alone. You're not a freak in this world. There are other people. No, who are there the are lots of other people who are into the same thing. Yeah. Can you look at my face? Look at the eye contact mm-hmm. I'm making with you. I'm not disgusted by this. That doesn't mean it's my preference, but right. I mean, and I, sometimes if it's appropriate, mm-hmm. disclosure. Like when I've had people bring up um, women who bring up being submissive and mm-hmm. being worried about that and their politics as well. Yeah, that's the a clash between feminism and submission. Yes, right, and it's a big one. It's the a really big one, big one that comes in the therapy room a lot. Yeah, so it's like you know, I'm a powerful woman, and I wouldn't want people to think of me in an different way. And I'm feminist, but really, what I want to do is, you know, get down on the floor and kiss his feet. Mm. I'm like, yeah, okay, and so, well, you know, women who do that are are doormats and this and that. Well, you're looking at one who does mm. that. Do I look like a doormat to you? No, you're really, you know, you're really, you know, powerful woman. You're really out there professionally. You're really doing all these things and you like that? Well, yeah, preferentially. That's the only way that I engage sexually. I don't engage in equal sexual exchanges. That doesn't work for me. So one could call that a fetish, I suppose. I don't think of it as fetish because I think of it as um, preferential. Well, I think of it as sexual identity. Yeah. No, I know. I I actually think of it as sexual identity, so I don't. It goes beyond fetish. It's like this is this yeah. is who I am sexually. But um, you know, it's it can be really surprising. I remember the last woman I had this conversation with. She was like, "Excuse me. I know I have this really shocked look on my face. I just <laughs> I would have thought you would be dominant, and I just thought it was hysterical. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not. Not not. I can you can talk to my people if you want, right? <laughs> just definitely not dominant." And, and, the, and the idea that I wasn't uncomfortable with it was a revelation. So that sort of thing. And once the person is comfortable enough themselves, then you address the issues, I think, about, well, what if my partner is squicked? Squick equals, finds this disgusting. Yeah, yeah. It's a great word. I love the word squick, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful word. You know, so freaked out, disgusted by is the definition. So, you know, so what if my partner can't deal with this? What do we do now? I like to break that down and take it a step at a time. Okay. You know, what if, what if they can't deal with this? Well, you're going to have to have some frank discussions with them if this is the thing you want. You have some options. So then we always end up talking about, you know, is the person monogamous? Or are they non-monogamous? Mm-hmm. You know, it. This, this is where if you're not monogamous, you have many more options to deal with these things than if you are. If you're monogamous, you're kind of shit out of luck with that partner. You mm-hmm. then have a choice. Are you going to stay with this partner and sacrifice this piece of your sexuality that you just mm-hmm. owned that, that really you feel is one of the biggest pieces? Or are you going to keep it in fantasy, but your partner's now going to know you're doing that? And how mm-hmm. is that going to interact? Are you going I think to- there's another possibility of step as well, and it's one of the things I do in my practice is to refer people to a sexuality coach as a couple to work yeah. through such things and see if there is a, a happy middle ground or a compromise that can be reached that can make both people very sexually happy and delighted. Well, and that's part of what I do for my work. Of so course. I spend a lot of time doing that with people. But if we can't find that happy medium, then we talk about, well, is this something that stays in masturbation? You know, we really work as hard as we can to find a happy solution, whether the couple's monogamous or Mm non-monogamous. Non-monogamous has it easier, to be honest, in that situation, because you can just say, this is something I'll take to a separate partner. Absolutely. That's not a smooth ride, though. We need Mm -hmm. to be clear about that. That can be a, well, I'm okay with that, but actually, since I know how much you like that, and the fact that that I'm the person you're married to and you're not going to do it with me might feel uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Or I'm afraid you're going to fall in love with that other person and run off because I've forgotten what non-monogamous. It's a similar quandary when you get a a non-monogamous person and a monogamous person in a couple together, in a relationship together. That takes a similar kind of navigation. Can we, one of us, do without the thing that we need, i.e. monogamy or non-monogamy? Or, you know, is that something that we can compromise on? How boundaries negotiate? Or is that actually just not the right partner for you? Because actually, this vital part of yourself is not going to be helped and it could be hurt. And I think the other place where I hear that most often is with bisexuality. Yes. And monogamy, right? Yeah. Because by definition, if you're bisexual and you're monogamous, then you are going to suppress the acting on one. You're going to be out of luck in one way or another. Yeah. 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 
and unless you are a believer in um, a believer in you know sort of um, keeping it in mind and not acting on it, mm-hmm. which to me always smacks of you know what the Catholics tell gay people to Repression. do. Right? Yeah, and I don't like it very much. Um, the sin and not the sin. Oh, it's awful. Yeah, isn't it? I hate that. Have around this is just well, awful. it causes so many mental health problems. You know? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so it, I, and that I think is one of the things that I really want to highlight here: that not dealing with these things, not talking about these things, not working on them yourself, and dealing with the shame and guilt actually causes quite a few mental health problems. Yeah, absolutely. This is not a minor thing because for most people, sexuality and the things that turn them on are central to mm-hmm. their life and their pleasure. And so if you desire something that you've dis- that disgusts you, that means you cut yourself off from pleasure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and if we want to go real sort of layman's language armchair psychology, repression is shit. Whatever it's about, whatever you're repressing, it's not going to do your mental health any good. Yeah, absolutely. So this is definitely an area I would say, if you want some advice or some help, find somebody who advertises that they deal with these things. So you're looking for people who deal with gender, sex, and relationship diversity. They may not phrase it that way, but that's what you're looking for. So sometimes people will say that they're um, kink friendly or kink knowledgeable. And you want to interview the people you're talking to. Because just because I say I know something doesn't mean I'm comfortable with it. And I normally wouldn't have brought this up, but I've recently gotten two new clients because of therapists who advertised that they were kink friendly. Um, in fact, couldn't suppress their own responses. Ah, yes. There's a lot of good education for therapists around GSRD issues right now, but so people can get the piece of paper, tick the box, but it might still be, you know, very visible in their face. Yeah. If you don't know how to school your face, and I have to tell you something, not a lot of therapists learn how to to stay present and focused on the other. That was actually specific training I had. Mm. (laughs) Funny, but Mm -hmm. true. And so that doesn't mean I'm not, I'm not being authentic. I am so focused on you that you're not going to see a shock response on my face. I'm not trying not to be shocked. I'm being interested in you. Yeah. It's a skill and you need to learn these skills so that the client isn't put off by your very clear judgment of them. If this, if they're trying to bring you something they're ashamed of. Yeah. The last thing they need is any more shame. That's right. You're, you're 100% correct. I get a lot of clients who have come to me with the same issues that they've gone to a therapist. They thought it would be okay. And it's not. I've, I've recently, literally in recent weeks, there's been two who've been, shamed out of the therapy room because they thought this person understood ds and in like the third session they've been told it was um abusive relationship you know okay. well then that's a common one so it's you know very, very sad it's very sad it, it is very sad it is very sad and i think the key is not just kink in this in fashion terms not just kink friendly um or not just kink knowledgeable but you know proactively kink friendly you know, that's the difference, I think. And experienced. I, kink experienced matters as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you know, it isn't, it isn't so that in order for a therapist to understand you, they have to have gone through exactly what you've gone through. Yeah. Sure. However, there are areas where it's helpful if somebody has significant experience. Mm-hmm. And um, I think around sex and gender and sexuality and kink, these are all areas where actually it's very helpful if somebody has experience. And the reason is that you then don't have to explain yourself, explain the, you don't have to the concept. The you don't have to teach the therapist the concept. Exactly. You just have to teach them your world, which is all yeah. you have to do. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that the only therapist who can deal with kinky people is someone who's kinky. Yeah. But those who are kinky probably have an advantage because they have a shortcut. Mm-hmm. In, in understanding yeah. the broader. And being kink knowledgeable plus kink friendly is important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, I mean, it's the same for fetishes and it's the same for um, actually any, any of the other gender and sexuality things that are outside mm-hmm. the norm. Mm-hmm. It's useful if you know that somebody has significant experience in the area. So don't be afraid to interview your therapist. Absolutely. 100% the assessment sessions for both of you. Yeah. This is, this is not like a medical doctor, right? Yeah. It's not, 
And I, I mean, there is, in fact, research that says that if you have a good relationship with your medical doctor and you take medication, that you'll get more out of the medication. But we're going to put that aside for a second. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, you, you can hate But it's great. Right. I mean, I've literally said to clients in just about every assessment session I've ever done, look, I might be the best therapist in the world. I might still be the wrong one for you. Absolutely. Your therapist should be comfortable saying, and I say this to people, if you're not comfortable with me beyond the anxiety of talking to a therapist, yeah. I'm not the right person for you. Tell me and I will try and find you someone who might be. Exactly. You know, because I'm not personally insulted. Mm-hmm. There are many flavors. I always say that, look, if this connection, I'm pointing to you and to me, if this connection works, therapy works. If this connection doesn't work, I'm not the right therapist for you. Right. Simple as that. It's really hard to work with people you hate Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or you have no understanding of, or you can't imagine, you can't even put yourself anywhere near their life experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a therapist should be good enough and ethical enough to understand that and willing to refer. Yeah, 100%. And I know that many of you who go on the NHS think that you're stuck with the person they give you. You're not. Mm. Not, you are able to go back to the referrer and say, I wasn't comfortable with that person. What are the other options? Yeah. yeah. Practice advocating for yourself. It's essential. Um, so before we end, where can people find you? DKGreen.com. I'm easy peasy. That is easy peasy. <laughs> and for uh, those of you are, who are listening, don't forget that um, we have – some interesting events upcoming. There's the Secret Southburg Gathering, which is an evening gathering where I get together a bunch of people to talk about issues surrounding relationships and sex and what's going on in the world. It's a lot of fun. It's a free gathering. If you are interested, you need to let me know because it's invite only. So you can email me at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com. We've also got the Erotic Fireside Chat events coming up. These are once a month and start with a reading of erotica, and then there's an activity afterwards. The activity is a surprise. You don't get to know unless you're coming. These are also exclusive events, so if you're interested, please let me know, and I will send you the little application form. I try to make sure the groups are actually going to gel. That's why an application form, so it's not um, exclusive in the sense of excluding. It mm-hmm. is exclusive in the sense of making sure that actually you guys are going to be able to talk to each other and engage together. So you have a lot more fun that way. Again, that's Lori Beth at drlauribethbisbee.com. If you are listening today and you want to know more, you can go grab the first couple of chapters of the A to Z of sex that's coming out in a couple of months on a to Z of sex.com. That's pretty straightforward and easy. Mm-hmm. You can also consider joining the self-guided 30-day course, The A to Z of Sex, to find out more information. Contact me at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com, or you can also use drlauribeth at a to z of sex.com. Either one will get through to me. Next week, it is the letter G. I hope you'll be back. I look forward to seeing you all then. Have a fantastic week. Keep safe and keep sexy. We hope you learned something today. But if you have more questions, go ahead and email them to Lori Beth at drlauribethbisbee.com. Then be here next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of the A to Z of Sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Voice America Health and Wellness. See you next week. <laughs>